it's always been. We rise up to the challenge, we give the game our all. With sheer determination, we go in for the ball. Hi everybody and welcome to Big Footy Cats podcast episode 2 for season 2016. My name is Willow and somehow uh, I've been allowed to do this again after last time. Hopefully you can actually hear everything clearly this week and the tech issues from the other week are, are sorted out. Joining us again after uh, a successful debut a couple of weeks ago, we have Cat Empire. Welcome, see you. Thanks, mate. How are you, Willow? Yes, very well, thank you. And we've also got a couple of debutantes joining us tonight. Uh, firstly, former mod and uh, one of the uh, legend of our board, we've got Turbo Cat. Welcome, Turbo. G'day. How's things, Willow? Very good, mate. Thank you very much for being here. Yeah, not a problem. And also, we've got a very, very special guest and... If anybody is ever umming and ahhing about getting on a podcast, they need to take a good hard look at themselves because the bloke we've got on now is none other than our LA correspondent, Daz Broncos. G'day, Daz. Morning, Willow. Morning, all. Morning. <laughs> How are we? <laughs> yeah, it's 2.15 here, mate. I'm going with morning. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for uh, staying up or getting up, whichever way you went, Daz, to be a part yeah. of it. It was messy, but we're here. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, it is... The countdown is basically over. Uh, Thank God. (laughs) Our opening round one game is a mere few days away, uh, depending on when I upload this, so probably about three or four days away by the time we're live on air. Um, It's been a long pre-season, it's fair to say. Longer than we've been used to for the better part of the last ten years. Um, and we're all rearing and ready to go, and we've got some good issues to discuss this week. So we're going to lead off with one of the issues that has potentially, you could say, divided the board to a certain extent. Um, The Cameron Guthrie debate and where his best suited position is. The conundrum. The conundrum, and as we have one of the founding members of the Guth in the Guts Brigade with us, Cat Empire. I'm going to throw to you to make your case and uh, and and we'll go from there. Yeah, there's probably no one, um, no one stronger in the Guth in the Guts camp than me. Um, I got that hashtag to the top of the list. Very proud of it. Um, <laughs> Good for <laughs> Bucket list activity done. <laughs> um, yeah, but look, it, I think it really comes down to the way I've seen Guthrie develop as a player over the last couple of years, um, sort of progressing from a small defender to really a, what I see as a key part of our midfield. And um, it's a midfield that has been weak in the last few years, I think, relative to the best teams. Um, but he's a player who's been going from strength to strength Um He's still still very young and still improving, but I reckon he's probably, as it stands, even with Dangerfield coming in, he Guthrie would be our fourth best midfielder behind um, Selwood, Dangerfield, and Mitch Duncan. Um, and I, I I really worry about 
whether our midfield um, quality and depth is good enough to take out our best midfielder um, and um, move him somewhere else on the ground. Um, and I appreciate that, you know, there are competing needs here and certainly, you know, you, you, you do end up scratching your head about how we're going to find that small defender that um, will plug that gap for us, given that Buse hasn't um, really settled into the role. But, um, I, I, yeah, I worry about the effect on the midfield if we take Guthrie out of there for, for too long a period. Sure, he's, gonna, he's certainly going to rotate out of there and probably rotate into the back line. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure we have the quality in the midfield to, to um, take him out of there on a full-time basis. Daz, do you have any... What's your take on the, the Guthrie debate? Um, I never really got into the hashtag thing, so I'm kind of on the outer on that one. But um, I think given Thurlow's injury um, and the lack of progress from views in the first you know, NAB Cup stuff this year, um, I think we're going to see more of him back there. Um, I, I agree with... with Cat Empire's point about not wanting to weaken the midfield because it's been an issue in terms of strength and, and all that sort of stuff. But if you look at who we actually have as small defenders, you know, the list starts with Buse and, you know, and what Ruggles has kind of stuck his hand up, um, you know, most recently, but hasn't really been tested at the highest level that much. Um, so I think we kind of, by virtue of, no one else really stepping forward. I think he's kind of going to have to go back there to start with. Um, but I also think it's going to depend on on who we're playing as well. I think in, in the Hawthorne case or with North Melbourne, when you've got the, the quick, small, or Frio, for example, I think it's going to be more important to get somebody with that kind of defensive mindset and ability back there. Um, and maybe we can kind of skate through some other games where it's not so important. Turbo? Look, a lot of what the guys are saying I, I agree with. I mean, C is talking about a weakened midfield, and, I, and I've been on about that a bit. But um, the way I look at it is going back, what would be a couple of years ago when, when Guthrie was brought into the side, there was plenty saying that they didn't want him moved out of the defence. And I was pretty strong at that time, I thought, to sort of, no, we've got to put him in where we are the weakest. And yet again now, here we are. He's such a versatile player. He's flexible. He's quick. He's agile, which you need to be in the defence because you've got to react so quickly. Um, I don't see any alternative apart from using him where we are weakest again. And mm. that that takes a little bit away from the midfield, but I see we've got more midfield options than we have defensive options. And... You know, I, I, I did a little bit of a study, you know, when we were looking at this today, and I was looking at the sizes of Hawthorne. And, I mean, like, they haven't got anybody over 193. And we've got, we're going to have four guys over 193. Just about every player on our on our um, defence is going to be taller than their opponent. I think we need to put a quality player down there, and that's, that's Guthrie. Now, whether he spends all the time I, I think- there... I, I can see him sort of spending a bit of time in the middle, but uh, I can't see any way f- 
away from it. Yeah, I think I think it's hard. I'm not sort of one way or the other, you know, heavily favouring either side. I I think Daz, I think you made a good point. I think it's going to obviously it's going to largely depend on. Um, that that was my one. I'm yeah. done then. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, uh, well, you all made good points, but I think the one that probably stood out for me was it's going to depend on who we're playing. I think it's going to be a bit of a horses for courses type situation. I think with Thurlow going down, Guthrie's have, going to have to play back at some point with the reduced rotations and interchange capping. He's instead of going to the bench, he's an option to be to rest right. down in the in the defence. Um, I mean, there was one there was one post on the board I was reading before that talked about a make or break game for Buse. It was Cronin that mentioned it, and okay, maybe you can do that. But I'm like, yeah, if Buse plays like he did in Nab one, uh, Nab one I dread to think what Rioli or you know. Papolio does, you know, it's it's you need somebody that's capable of stepping up and and crushing Ballantyne like you can. Yeah, um, I don't I see think, any alternative. I, I think see um, Cat Empire's kind of uh, point about Guthrie being our fourth best mid, um, but he's probably going to be our second or, or first best uh, or our best small defender. So it's a case of like, do you take out your full? What's more valuable to have? Is it is it, is it best to have him back there as our best small, or is it better to have him in the in the mid as our fourth best mid? And I, I don't know. Maybe that's kind it's, of a. It's an interesting point too. See, uh, um, fourth best. Where's that put Motlop? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I reckon running laps right now. Guthrie is a better pure midfielder than than Mollock. That's probably not going to be um, a popular. I I'd agree with that though. Um, I, I I've got a lot of time for Motlop, and I think he's a really excellent outside midfielder. But um, if it was late in the game in a close final and you had to throw either Guthrie or Motlop into the guts to help you win the match, I would go Guthrie every time. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. But what do we classify Motlop as? Yeah, he's Sad, a mid- apparently. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. Sorry. Easy, easy. Sorry. <laughs> uh, he's, a mid. he's a mid. He's a mid. He's a mid, isn't he? It's sort of not... He's not going to go inside and get the ball when you need to, and that's what you're talking about. He's, I, I see Motlop. He's a bit of an outside. He's almost the flanker wingman type. He's yeah. outside the pack. And when he's at his best, he's he for me, when he's at his best, he just runs from 50 to 50 all day. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and he's used as a link-up player. Um, when he's, You can tell when he's feeling good about himself and he's playing well because he pulls off those extraordinarily arrogant passes that he... Where he yep. looks lazy and pulls it across his body and hits a bloke that with them out even having to break stride, but he's not back on the, the Guthrie thing. I don't think I agree with with Ce. With Guth is probably more of a pure midfielder. You can put him in. You know he can receive it outside. You know he will. He could win a he can win a clearance. You know he can stop another midfielder from from winning the ball as well. He's going to be. A better option in that sense, I feel. 
Um, I think he's mentally strong too. That's why he can play that sort of defensive mindset. He's a a, a guy that you can give the role to and he can focus on it. I'm not sure that's natural for all. I think somebody was talking about, you know, surely anybody can stand next to somebody else. Well, not all people can do that. He's disciplined, um, I think, in that yes, sense. And I think that is also part of the argument as to why he was he's good a good fit as a small defender because he will stick to the task. And and I think we saw that in his second year, I think it was, second or third year, when he, third year, in 2013, when he he played predominantly as a, a small defender and he was just, even then he was just, he just did the job. He just stuck to oh, it. And I think it was, it was a 2013 when we played Fremantle down here. That's the, yeah, that was what, my, and, uh, what I was thinking of. To and we were, unfortunately. Apart from the first quarter, they towed us up. Yep. But he stood really well that day. He I was mean, very good on Valentine. Time, and yeah. I think he played on, I'm pretty sure he played on Rioli against Hawthorne in the prelim that year. And, and beat, I thought he touched him up or am I thinking of the wrong year that might have been the year Rioli was um, hurt and had to come in through the VFL as well but he's he did the job that year as a minimum fast small defender very disciplined just stuck to his guns and, I'd still and, say ideally if we can find somebody that can can do the role in the back pocket moving back into the middle because I agree what he gives he's one of the few guys that almost is like danger in the sense that he can actually burst away from the pack. He's yeah. sort of, he yeah. creates open space. He's got a fantastic step too when he yeah. gets the ball. Yeah. At his first couple of steps, he's brilliant at sidestepping and, and he's got a good fend on him for a bloke that doesn't look like he's got much meat on the bones as well. Yeah, there's a little bit of mongrel yeah. there somewhere. There's oh, I think a... there's a bit of Sunbury boy mongrel yeah. in him. That's no doubt about that. <laughs> Apparently, he makes a good ice cream too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I haven't yeah. tried it though. Speaking of ice cream and speaking of Motlop, another look at you go. Another oh, look at me. Another uh, another obviously often heated debate that we've had over uh, over the preseason was the shape of Motlop. In particular, the shape he returned back from his break in, which. Uh, the photos of him were unflattering. To it's say a meltdown it. on those photos, wasn't it? it oh, God. So, I mean... Camera well, angle. No, it's padding. No. That was a vest. It was a vest. Jeez. <laughs> so, Turbo, I suppose, who, what's your take on... Where do you see him at? Where do you see Mott's as at, being at at the moment? Is he... Well, I mean, I've been listening to Yaron stuff all day, too, and... So it's a little bit like that. I sort of wonder, what, is he was he happy once he got the contract signed? Was he sort of been sort of like just relaxed? Is he not quite professional in his mindset? Not sure. I'll be here all the time that uh, players almost have got to train even when they're not training these days. Uh, there was an article I read the other day that talked about how nearly all the players that are playing midfield across all the clubs, have dropped kilos. Now they've dropped two, three kgs to sort of like make themselves more mobile. So in a way, he's sort of come back and he's, he's got two lots of hard work to do. So uh, I suppose that as long as the message gets across to him that this is not the thing to be doing, 
because it looks like he was starting to come good at each of those NAB Cup games. I thought he made a little bit of an incremental better performance. And going by last year, I'd, I'd say he's going to be in the best 22, even when he's a little bit scratchy. They're going to, OK, give him a go, see how it goes. And he's going to have to play badly to get out of it rather than sort of like drop him at the start. Oh, he was he was third in our best and fairest, wasn't he? I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, he's not. He's. Yeah. I agree with that point. He's he's in the best twenty-two, but he's yeah. There's. I mean, that, that's last year. What I'm talking about is like uh, when geez, you would have seen just about everybody going past him at training. Yeah. But on skill, they'd sort of say, okay, we can't. We cannot not pick him. Yeah, we'll scrape him in, or sort of like if he's twenty-first or twenty-second pick, we'll give him that chance. Because even when he's unfit, he can still he's probably one of the few guys that can sort of do that magic thing. But if he's not fit enough to actually run the game out and he sort of embarrasses himself, I can see maybe some hard decisions have to be made. Yeah, it's um I think it's interesting as well and the not to, to say that he's you know, you'd think expect him to be dropped, but uh, if if what you believe, if what people say and what you believe, the club were unhappy with the condition he came back in, surely he's been given the hard word and, and told what's required of him and, and and potentially you could see him. He may have to go back to the VFL for a week at some point if he isn't meeting the standards that he's that are expected of him. And especially well, if you come back behind the eight ball, you're not doing yourself any favours, that's for sure. Um, yeah, well, that's why I think... You, ultimately, it's what he does in the game. So, if he's good enough, he's, he's sort of just there, maybe, but compared to his normal conditioning. But we'll see how he goes in the game. I mean, if he goes out and he's still one or two k's over, but he still plays well, then he's going to keep his spot. That's a fair call, Daz. Yeah. What's your take on it all? I originally kind of gave him a bit of breathing space um, and didn't think it was that bad. And then uh, when I heard Moons. On one of the uh, Fox Footy, I think it was the Frio game. Um, I think Jared Healy was talking about it and kind of asked Mooney and said, well, "What happened?" And Moon said, "Yeah, he came back like eight kilos overweight." That was pretty much the uh, the sealer for me. That like, it was clearly not a vest at that point. Um, he's, I, I think, I agree with Turbo. He's getting better. You can see he's putting in the work, um, but it's whether it's fully there yet it's going to be it's almost going to become a Selwood kind of thing is is a motlop at 80 percent match fitness better than than somebody else at 100 percent um and i think the hard part for him is going to be as was mentioned earlier his best when he's flying you know down the wings you know breaking lines between the between the 50 meter arcs and stuff like that if he doesn't have the the gas to be able to keep doing that with repeat efforts that's going to make him uh, not expendable, but certainly more questionable as an inclusion, um, given that that's his kind of primary role and, and when he's at his best. So I don't think he's done himself any favours, but if he, you know, to coin a better phrase, if he, as long as he pulls the figure out and, and gets uh, as much fitness into him as he can, you know that the skills and all that sort of stuff are, are going to come back. So it's just a case of when that happens. Um, hopefully uh, he's been doing a lot of running in the last two weeks. Cat Empire? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm probably the odd one out here. I'm not really worried at all about um, 
about his physical state um, for a few reasons. I think, uh, first of all, I think that we've got to accept that these guys, while they're all elite athletes, they've all got different um, makeups and um, their bodies react differently to the way they train or don't train and their diet and everything. And I think Motlop's just a player who who will put on weight quickly when he stops training, stops running. Um, but also he appears to be someone who is able to take it off pretty quickly. I, I think he's looking fit now. Um, and I agree with the comments that he looked better as each game went on in the in the NAB series. Um, and But moreover, I'm not really that worried about whether he's at his best in um, February, March, I, I want to see him peaking late in the year. And I think um, one of the issues he's had in previous years is his, um, his tendonitis issues with his knees. Um, and, he, you know, that seems to be something that's behind him now. And maybe, um, you know, taking it a bit easy over summer is is helping in that Regard well, that's a good point. Easing, yeah, the, easing the load on his knees for it's one. Uh, it's one of the things I listed down. I thought you know it is one of the reasons why is he just sort of backed off a little bit. You know, like he's tried to get over his sore spots and it's gone too far for him. Or you know, we don't know, do we? We we're going to guess. Yeah. So I, I think it's also important that that we recognise as supporters that you know although although they're professionals, they they need to have time away. And you know, obviously, this might be a case of it going perhaps a little bit too far, or maybe it just looks like it went too far. But you know, it, it's it's a fairly intense regime. They're they're on for ten months of the year, um, and, and you've got to be able to give them a mental break if that means going away and not training as much or or doing stuff. I, I think there's you've got to allow a bit of scope for that. Now, how much scope is up to up to debate, but I, I think you have to recognise the fact that the players need to be able to have some form of getaway and, and they're entitled to have a little bit of latitude there. Yeah, I'd agree with all that. The only, I suppose the concern is down the track. We keep hearing it from the professionals, how important the pre-season is and putting the, yeah. you know, the hours in and all that sort of stuff. You know, like a player comes back and he hasn't done the pre-season and then he starts picking up injuries. Well, Steve's shown before that he does pick up a injuries fairly regularly so like even if they're little niggles and he plays on and whatever else if we're talking about that he's got a hammy or you know calf or whatever the heck it is you know come july that's that's going to be the concern isn't it yeah but at the same time i don't if he's um if, I suppose the positive is he, if he has completed every session and he's done all the work over the summer, then you can only we can only really base it on his condition when he rocks up round, round one. one. Yeah. Um, and I think when it all sort of blew up, I, I made a point. I said I thought maybe it was a knee and he'd rested and he'd been told to not do anything for 10 weeks, you know, yep. just completely rest up. And I was shut down pretty quick by... A couple of people, I think, suggesting that that wouldn't have been told anything like that, but it was just you know, obviously just spitballing and throwing things out there. But um, he may have come back a little heavier than the club liked, but I'm sure if he's done the work and if his body's in good shape, then that's 
if he can run out the game, that's the that's the most important thing. Yeah, I agree with that. He doesn't have to be right to run out the game in October and November. He's got to be right to run out the game on Monday. And then the next 24 or 5 weeks after that, hopefully. Yeah, right. <laughs> and now, that leading into Monday, Easter Monday, we play our traditional Easter Monday opponents and the team that we all hate generally. Some people love to hate, some people just hate. Some people <laughs> like VC don't hate, which confuses us all greatly. But obviously the Hawks, um, who appear to be human Coming apart at, at the, the moment. Human at the moment. Mm. They, uh, we obviously, Ruffy uh, is out for half the year and then I think it was announced today that uh, Hill is going to be out for six weeks and Shields obviously broke his wrist or arm as well a couple of the, uh, the last practice match so he's also out so personally I think when we've looked at the teams when you look at the teams people are suggesting as potential sides our side on paper appears to stack up reasonably well um Obviously, we're looking at it with biased eyes as well, but I can't help but feel that uh, if we can't get them now, then we won't get them all year. And I don't know what your what are your gentlemen's thoughts? How what do you how do you see what do you see or what do you, I suppose what do we want to see to start with? What do we want to see from this week? What do we want to see um, from our side? Daz, uh, a win. Good answer. That would be yeah. That would be the four points is what I'm looking for. Correct answer. Um, yeah, really. But I'm not sure that if, you know, I'm kind of one of those half-full people. I, I don't know that if we if we don't get a, the chocolates in this one that, that we won't get them for the rest of the year. I think there's still a bit of um, cohesion that, that needs to go on with the unit, you know, as a, the group as a whole, um, particularly with, you know, Danger and Zach and... And Hendo and all that sort of stuff. So I, I still think there's some um, some people finding their feet, and you know that that kind of innate knowing where somebody else is going to be before they're there uh, that takes time. You, you're right. Um, I, I probably was a bit extreme saying if we don't yeah, get them, yeah, now, we'll no, never get them. I probably more meant it's as good a chance as we're going to have. Like we couldn't. Hope, I totally agree. We couldn't hope that, for yeah. a better a better look at them injury wise yeah. and, and position wise. I, I just, I, I think, and I've posted this a couple of times. Um, the, I, I think the biggest change between this year and last year, particularly in the in the Hawthorne games, will be the the ruck combination of, of Zach Smith and uh, and Reece Stanley. Um, just his ability to, uh, first of all, tap the ball where you know our midfielders are going to get get it. Um, and to be able to get a clearance out of there, his his on the ground work and follow up work has been really good in the preseason. Um, his ability to stand up and uh, take a mark, I think he's already got more marks in three games than than poor Dawson Simpson had in his career. Um, and you know, I'm saying that a little tongue in cheek, but I'm also kind of half serious. Um, he's probably kicked more goals than him. Um, so I think it's. I think that's the biggest change for me. And, and then also on the defensive side of that, seeing Hale or, or you know, McAvoy or whoever um, push forward and have Dawson Simpson or whoever was the ruck at the time 
trailing behind because they were out of position or whatever, I, I, I don't see that happening as easily. So I think immediately there, there's a, a big plus for us um, against not just Hawthorne but against other sides, but particularly against Hawthorne who have used that um, really to their advantage. And, and you know, um, it's definitely been a difference between us and them over the last couple of years. Cat Empire? What's, uh, what yeah, are you looking agree, for? Yeah, oh. agree with all of that. Um, I, I particularly, I mean, I look at the side on the sides on paper, and I think we're not going to get much stronger. And um, I think they're they're going to have um, quite a few good inclusions, particularly towards the latter half of the year when um, Roughhead comes back. Um, so yeah, we won't get a better time in terms of the lineups to to get them. But granted, we um, you know, we're going to take some time to gel as a team. But I think the thing I want to see is that we have some sort of plan with dealing with with them um, that's mm. different to the way we've played them in the previous couple of years because it hasn't worked. And that might have been somewhat personnel-related that we just, we just couldn't match it with them talent-wise. Um, I think there's a lot of truth in that. But I think also we just... Tactically, we just we weren't up to it, and we didn't have the answers um, to their particularly their kicking game. Um, so I want to see that we have a plan for that, that we can apply the pressure we need to apply to force them into error and, and to um, win the ball in the midfield and give our forwards a good chance. Because I think if we get it in quickly to our forward line, I think we can um, we can put a lot of pressure on them as we used to do, you know, three or four years back. I think we used to have a clear advantage with our talls against them, uh, in particular against their their backline. And and just to follow up that last point um, that you made, CE about the as we used to, I can remember for years we always seemed to be able to just throw Brad Ottens forward and yep. just completely stretch them. And there's nothing better than seeing Josh Gibson actually having to play on someone man on man in the goal square. And often he would find himself up against a much bigger opponent. You know, he put it to Ottens and him one-on-one. And he was never going to outmark him. Ottens, oh, the big pill at either pull down the mark or, because he was so big, he didn't. He, he almost negated Gibson's spoiling ability in that situation as well. And it just brought it down, straight down to his feet for the contest. So We did, did it with pods too, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, pods was a fantastic yeah. record with the Hawks and I think that's a the, obviously I haven't looked at the weather the weather conditions or the forecast for Monday but I do think that that can be an area potentially where we exploit them especially with Lake uh, with Lake no longer there Lake Lake's had a had a stranglehold on um, Hawkins for the last few years I reckon mentally it got to the point where he... Because there was a few... There was games late in the last bit where Hawk was dropping simple marks. And I think it was just from implied... In just pressure he was feeling. Um, I think he'll hopefully relish the chance to relish the contest without Lake there. Uh, and obviously he's looking pretty lean and sharp himself. Uh, and he's now obviously a very happily married man. So hopefully that all flows through to the footy on Monday. I think Blake worried Hawkins a bit, even when he was playing with uh, 
the dogs. I can remember him sort of giving him a little bit of trouble, something a bit mismatched somehow. But I don't think that's the same with Frawley. I think I think Hawkins can take care of Frawley. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I, I know. I used to underestimate how strong Brian Lake actually was. I think his physical strength was something that surprised a lot of people. Um, you know, definitely got me. And I think Hawkins was kind of one of those people that kind of thought, yeah, I've got this, and then went, oh, maybe not, you know. And I think, like you said, it kind of got to him a little bit. And I'm not sure that, that Frawley is the same kind of unit that uh, that Brian Lake was. So hopefully, you know. Sort of fell into the Kerry Jakovich trap, do you think? Sort of yeah, like a little bit. Fell little into bit. the sort of like, oh, my, I'm strong, so I want to wrestle all the time. Right. And I, I think now that he's lightened up a little bit, um, and I, I've certainly, in his movement and the way that he's um, chasing tacklers, and again, it's only pre-season, so you can't put too much into it, but his movement's been a lot better than, than I think I've seen for the last couple of years. So the ability for him to get away from that wrestling and, and be more of a leading person and, and tackling and chasing and defensive pressure coming out of there, I you know, I, I think that bodes well for us as well. Mm. So do we see... I mean, where do we see, I suppose, our strengths over over them? And Turbo, is it where you what you mentioned, just our tall forwards? Is that going to be like where do we win the game? Well, with our strengths against them. I think both sides would be thinking that if you can get the ball in, they're going to create mismatches. Hawthorne's going to think that they can they can get us with their smalls, and we probably think we can do it with our talls. So obviously, it falls back getting the ball out of the centre, so Smith and Stanley are vitally important. Obviously, Dangerfield and then, of course, Selwood pairing for the first time. Um, I'd just like to credit all four of us for going 10 minutes talking a Hawthorne game without mentioning PFD. (laughs) (laughs) Very good point. Yeah, we... We're keeping the powder dry for now, Dave. Sorry, Tim, go on, mate. uh, Yeah, we're going to take on with a few players missing, but I seem to think last few years through the year, like when did Hawkins kick six and he had um, <coughs> Hawkins jumper on? I'm trying to think of who he was playing against, but Chaney. that was a total, total mismatch. That was against Cheney. Cheney, that's it. He just and ripped him to shreds in the last quarter. It, I, I doubt whether Clarkson worried about it because he knew that wouldn't be the, the, the match-up down the track. He sort of like, he does play games a little bit, so it won't really worry him not being 100%. Um, but I look at our side, and even though on paper we might be full strength, I don't think we're going to be anywhere near as good as what we are down the track if we stay fit and stay on the ground. You know, yeah, like because yeah. you know, I, I go through it and think, okay, how good's Menzel going to be once he's played five, six, seven games? I know that's sort of like you know, knock on wood type stuff, but um, we, we're either they're guys that are young that haven't played a lot, or they're guys that have come from somewhere else that really don't know us. So once that all melts, you know, even though the, the names are the same, the side will be 25% better. Yeah, very yeah, good point. Dangerfield and Sal would be yet to play a game together. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, that's going to take some time. Um, Smith is still working out how to, um, how to feed his midfield well, so that's going to take some time. 
And another point, Selwood hasn't played a game with Smith either. Yeah, And that's yeah. another a combination. There's all these combinations that are... Uh, they've still got their old plates on in terms of being with each other, not in terms of being footballers, but they've... It's And probably that's part of the reason that the Hawks have been such a high benchmark for the last few years is their midfield has basically stayed the same. And they are to the point where... If Mitchell grabs the ball, he knows automatically where Lewis and Hodge and Smith and, and all those players are going to be. Probably before they even know where they are, he knows where they're going to be because it's just... Uh, it's yeah, they've just, just played so much with each other. Yeah, exactly. It's just a learned behaviour now. It's like it's what just we were five it. years ago. Yes, absolutely. Exactly right. Yeah. As much as I hate to say it, to their credit, though, they've, they've also done it without each one of those guys that you just mentioned for, you know, four to six week periods as well. You know, Hodge has been out for, you know, had what we'll call a long-term injury, anything over four weeks. I mean, each, even last year, Mitchell was out, Hodge was out, Lewis was out. They've been able to slot somebody in. Granted, it might only be one player at a time, but they've still been able to get that continuity going. And it's, as much as I hate to say it, you've got to respect them for that. Oh, and no doubt that, Part of their strength is their system, and um, in the, if one person goes down, they back themselves that they've got someone else that will step in, know what's required, and be able to to perform the role. Maybe not at the high level of the person they're replacing, but can still perform it at an adequate level that the team doesn't lose anything. What are we? What are we? What are we? What are our biggest concerns? coming in to Monday? Um, well, for, for me, one of the concerns, I suppose, is what we saw in NAB 1. I, I just, if, if we press up because we're conscious of don't let them breathe, you know, we've got to be on them because if you let them have the ball and it's all easy stuff on the outside, they're going to kill us with the foot skills. Okay, so really sweat on them, be in their face. And we do that to our nth degree, and, and overcook it, well, what, what's it going to look like when we go on Rioli versus anybody all by themselves in the forward line? Uh, we've got to be really aware that we want to press but don't overdo it or always have coverage. I think C was talking about fixing it in game two and, and to a certain degree I think he's right. But we've got to make sure that we press but don't overpress. Well, I think... I think that's exactly right, Turbo. And but I think the good thing is that we didn't really see that again, aside from that quarter, or not not at least for a sustained period in any of the other, either of the other matches. Um, that sort of problem we had in that third quarter against Collingwood, where it was clearly just um, the structure was all wrong and the the, the tactics were wrong. Um, but I think, to our credit, we didn't see that again, that problem, and I thought they got the balance much better for the rest of the series. And I thought they had the back set up um, a lot better as well. They weren't getting sucked up the ground. There was always two or three defenders back still, or capable of getting back, um, which is what you want to see, because I know we are going to play that style of game where we press up because that's how we think we can beat teams like Hawthorne. So we will see it, but we do have to have that insurance um, of players not... That, those last two or three players not getting sucked in um, 
and I, I was I was heartened that we didn't we didn't see that problem again in NAB, and I I hope we don't see it again this week. I think um, as well part of that third quarter, the problem with that third quarter, it was a bit of a a perfect Collingwood had almost a perfect quarter where. I, if I'm remembering quickly, and it was up the other end of the ground from where I was sitting, so I may be a bit sketchy on it, but it seemed like they kicked 11, but it seemed like five or six of those would have been snaps from a kick, into, a kick out of the middle, and it wasn't as if they'd ran the ball the length of the ground and got it up and over our press. It was a quick clearance, and the ball had hit the ground, and they were snapping goals from everywhere that quarter as well, which... Potentially, you know, they just seem to be every shot was going through for a goal, and that can often that can exaggerate as well at times. I don't think it was every goal. I don't think it was every goal. Just from memory, I thought there was maybe three or four goals like that. I mean, like Mackie even gave a gift goal at the end, so you knew it was going on. Down the tube. What I meant, sorry, was it probably a large part? It just seemed to be the quick clearance and a quick contest snap goal, and it just. There was a burst of goals like that. So the third quarter, the third quarter didn't actually, for me, wasn't the concerning part about the press. It was the rest of the game where they were moving the ball from defence to their forward line, and just they were just splitting us open. And I took a photo and posted it up on the board, saying this is how they lined up all night long. I remember that one. And the really high line. And you could see they Mm -hmm. were clearing the ball from the half-back line and they had the four closest players to goal as well. And that was alarm bells for me. But then the next game against Essendon, I think very early on, Essendon a few times kicked the ball forward and there was three or four of our blokes there ready, set up, ready to go. So um, I, I got a bit... I was heartened by that because it, it appeared, obviously, potentially we were just try, trying something the first game. Um, the second game, we'd started to correct it. And I didn't, I didn't have any too many issues with NAB 3, the way we, the way we set up. Um, granted, I was a bit under the weather during that game, so I didn't take it all in properly. <laughs> Do you think, though, that, that possibly... In what we've seen is, and one of the criticisms of, and I'm not going to get, you know, get into a big Chris Scott thing, but um, one of the criticisms has been he doesn't really have, or seems to not have, like a plan B. Maybe we've seen part of that in these three games that, like, we there are now options that that in game styles that they're going to change. Now, obviously, one of them didn't work well for the third quarter there, or appeared to not work well, but maybe they're more willing to have a look at changing something and, and having two different structures or two different ways of playing and when something's not working, maybe this is an example of, you know, we're, we've seen two different game styles and three different games over the preseason. Maybe, maybe they're cooking something up that to at least have options to change things, whereas before it's always been, no, we're going to stick with what we've got and that's it. But that is what the NAB, the NAB challenge is for as well. It's to try oh, absolutely. Those things, yeah. I know, everybody looks at what see something different I suppose but I mean I think we've been running on plan B for about two or three years because of uh, our lack of rucks Spot on. Uh, yep. you know I'm like uh, the criticism of Scott you know he doesn't do this or doesn't do that maybe it's fair maybe it's not but the way I looked at it is he's always been sort of like trying to do stuff with his arm behind his back um, he's never been able to have the side that could actually win it from the middle and go 
full on let's roll the dice kick goals. Well, he has. So, it. He did have it in two thousand eleven. Yeah, well, that's. The, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, it was sort of we're going back sort of. No, like but I mean that further. Four or five you, years. That further so, makes your point, I think, as well. You know, so um, if last couple of years you can see by the recruits, you know, like he's trying to bring in stuff to cover that. Um, obviously, not all of it's been a work, but I think with Smith and now meshed with Stanley. And we've got extra height on the side. You can see he definitely does not want to go in there with playing, you know, like a, a walker type in the ruck anymore. Yeah, so he wants yeah. to play plan A and then switch to plan B or C if he has to. But plan A is kick goals. I think, yeah, absolutely. I think as well, I heard him, I heard Scott, or I saw him interviewed on one of the Fox footy things last year. And they they talked about what if it goes wrong? Do you have Plan B? What's a what does a coach do in this situation? Potentially, it was during the finals when he was when he was on the the panel for the finals, and he said he said they plan they don't like to change what they've planned because they spend a week they spend the whole week working on a plan, they train for it, they spend the whole week setting themselves for this and he said you've got to I think he meant he was talking about the courage in the coach's box to um, they've got to stay firm with what they believe they're trying to do because if they've spent a whole week training preparing a certain way in the first quarter if they all of a sudden rip it all up and start again they've lost their whole week's preparation it's it's not not an ideal situation for the players and, and for what they're trying trying to do and I know it's one of the you know the the footy fans favorite or the Geelong supporters at the moment's favorite <laughs> argument is oh we don't have plan B but like it's not under 12s you don't just move the forwards to the back lines <laughs> and the backs to the forwards it's there's they would be doing things differently that average joe football fan would not even realize or pick up they would be implementing changes midway through quarters and Constantly, so I'm a. Well, the other, but apart from a, apart from an like an occasional, let's just roll the dice and put like a backman forward for the like a one-off type thing. You're normally lining up with the the best player in what you think is his best position. Yes. So, you know, fifteen minutes into the game and it's not working, do you suddenly think I'll put the second best or the third best player in that position, or do you trust your best player? So, I think the other thing. Most of the time, they're going to keep trusting, keep trusting, keep trusting, and maybe sometimes they just trust too long before they, you know, go and make the the change. But um, I doubt that you're going to sort of like, you know, throw the whole baby out, you know, ten fifteen minutes into a game because it isn't worked out. Yeah, that's it. Cat Empire, you were going to jump in there. Yeah, I was just going to say. I think the other thing I've heard Scott say, and I think it has a lot of merit, is. Um, that despite what the fans think, the coaches actually have limited ability to swing changes other than positional changes. You can send player A from full back to full forward, but in terms of changing the game style and tactics during the game, the coaches are far more limited in their ability to do that than the fans appreciate. Um, and, and that is down to, as you say, they, they train a particular way. They've got a, an overarching game plan that they use 
for the whole season, basically. And to think that you can just flick a switch and start playing a different way and coordinate 22 guys to play a different way is quite unrealistic. Um, and what what Geelong was able to do in years gone by when we had that core of players, you know, Corey, Enright, Kelly, um, Ablett, Bartell, etc. the list goes on. There was, you know, 15 of them who played their whole careers together. Was they just knew they had... They had the um, the ability to play um, the way they wanted to play and to beat anyone, and they knew if they stuck at it, they would eventually click and get it right and roll over the top of everyone. And we can't do that anymore because we don't have that same uh, um, core of players. But um, that takes a long time to build, and and I think that's probably not. Uh, there's some impatience in the fan base that um, that I think is a bit unfair. Well, that, well, that just put in that just put an end to a three hundred and forty three hundred and forty page thread. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wait in there and post it either. No, that's all right, I'll do it. <laughs> we uh, and I think the I'm, point I'm you gonna made, get my broom. <laughs> get your hammer ready. I yeah, think right. the uh, I think a point then as well was the, the just further following up with the point how they train for the week. I was fortunate enough two seasons back maybe three to to go to the the in, inner sanctum training as part of the then Varco sponsorship and we were playing Richmond that week and they they trotted us into the their room with the with the big screen and the sort of the auditorium I suppose and said, and Troy Selwood stepped up the front and said, "This is what we're going to do. This is why we're going to do it. This is what Richmond do. They like to do this with the ball." And and I think it was something like Martin and Martin Delidio and Cochin. He goes, "Only ever handball it when they want it back." And they show all these examples. And you think about it. It's now you'll start to notice that when you're watching the footy Thursday night. Obviously, Delidio is not playing, but Cochin and Martin they will handball it to someone who's a meter or two away purely because they just want the ball back again. And they love their one twos, and and they look at this, and then they say, "So we're going to do, we're going to have extra numbers around the contest in this particular area, and we're going to train this way, and we're going to do that." So they spend their whole week. Every drill they do for the week is constructed to allow them to be able to do a certain, to either you know cover off something the opposition does and turn it into a strength for us on the weekend. So to then turn around on a Saturday and say, oh, all right, guys, we're not doing that. Let's swap this around. The players are drilled in for the week as to what they've got to do. Um, and, and like you said, they can't just flick a switch and, and change it all up for 22 people. Just as easy as that. Daz, did you have any other thoughts on, I suppose, now that it's turned into a bit of a Chris Scott discussion? I, I was actually just going to head it back towards the uh, the upcoming game. Go nuts. Um, Daz is an expert at steering things away from the uh, Chris Scott minefield. Yeah, well, yeah. take us back to it, Daz. Well, you'd mentioned that, uh, you know, what were the concerns about the game coming up and... One of the things I was thinking of was uh, hopefully we're getting away from, even though we, we are probably the tallest team in the league now, um, that we're actually going to get away from just the high, long kicks into the forward 50. Um, I know that's kind of counterintuitive given the fact you've got, you know, potentially you're going to have Vardy, 
um, Hawkins, you know, and and maybe a Stanley or Smith down there resting as a forward or, or however it works out. But just because you've got all that down there doesn't necessarily negate the ability to lower the eyes and hit up somebody else or somebody leading. Um, I hope that's the trap we don't fall into. Um, it hasn't worked for us um, recently. And hopefully just because they've got taller targets down there that that doesn't become the crutch that they can continue to keep doing, if that makes any sense. I wonder uh, if the, spot on. I wonder if sometimes the kicking it on their head has been a result of our struggles in other areas. With the Turbo mention, we Scott's had, you know, if you're looking at a game plan with one hand tied behind your back... Yeah, are we throwing it onto the boot a bit quicker because we are lacking the ruckman, the assistance for Joel to help get the ball free from the contest? And often we're finding ourselves under more pressure than potentially we could be under. And blokes under pressure are more likely to kick it quickly and not as accurately, and, and therefore just you can tend to just bomb it long to your forward. Well, that was one of the things I really liked about the Freo game was... Uh... The goals kicked by the smalls. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I tend to think that, like, even if you have a win, okay, kick it along to Hawkins. He takes a mark. It'll win. It'll work once or twice before they start double teaming him, and they'll they'll shut that down. But you've drawn a man to you, so then it's up to somebody else to chip in. So that that's the time to go short, or that's the time to look at the alternative. Where we sort of play dumb footy is we just keep going to the person because it's worked last time. So um, when Link kicked all those goals, I thought, now now we're starting to look like what we wanted because we've got alternatives. We can we can look for the pass. We can look long. Um, do we play play McCarthy and Gregson to sort of play the high high press? Not sure, but but we're starting to get there. I just like the, the multiple goal kickers that we had too. It wasn't like, I mean, I, th- I think Vardy kicked four in one game, and um, but there, there hasn't been like the same person every week fronting up and kicking three or four. It's it's been you know ten or twelve goal kickers coming in and, and getting one or two each, or however it's worked out. Um, whereas I think recently seasons we've had more of a reliance on kind of one or two people to to kick the lion's share and that's going to work well for us as well going forward is spreading that load around because then defenders just don't know what option we're going to take. Yeah, there's there's, there's got to be two changes to our scoring this year. Um, one's got to be that there are now three players who are going to spend a lot of time for, in our forward line this year, fingers crossed, who um, haven't spent much time at all there in the last well, in, over their whole careers, really, but that's Vardy, Menzel and McCarthy, all hugely talented players, and I've got no doubt if they spend enough time in the forward line, they're going to kick a lot of goals. The other part of it, I think, is uh, we haven't got enough goals out of our midfield, and the best teams have their top handful of midfielders kicking, you know, at least in the teens, but preferably in the 20s and above, um, goals and we haven't we we haven't got that out of our mids in the last couple of years. We need we know that Selwood's capable. We know that Motlop's capable. We certainly know that Dangerfield's capable, and he's going to add in that area. Um, 
even Caddy and Duncan are capable goal kickers, but we need them all to be hitting the scoreboard every week um, because it can't be all about forwards being on the end of a chain. Um, we need our midfielders to be winning the ball and getting forward and kicking goals. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's obviously another another area that Hawthorne have just excelled in in the last too many years. They they have a, a whole swag of midfielders that all seem to get on the scoreboard more often than not as well. Now, we you touched on on our skipper there, Selwood, Cat Empire. Are we, how are we feeling about his conditioning and his, him going into this game? I mean, we've, uh, there has been probably a largely one-sided discussion about the merits of playing him and everything, uh, this week. Are we, are we happy, are we all happy and, and confident and comfortable with him playing based off a VFL practice match? This week, um, I think it's just it's just a non-discussion. I, I can't believe there's even one person questioning it. Um, although maybe I maybe I should believe it, um, <laughs> given who it was. No offence, mate. Hi, um, bodies. <laughs> um, uh, you know how what it means for not just this game and beyond. Um, I think that it's 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 a fair call to say there's there's got to be a bit of uncertainty about. It whether his conditioning's up to it and whether um, he's able to have an impact in this sort of first quarter of the year, I'd probably say. Um, but we know he's such a professional. He, I, I saw some vision of him yesterday or today playing that VFL match. He looks fit. Um, and I heard Chris Scott say he, he, it's not like he hasn't been doing a lot of running. He has been doing a lot of running. Um, uh, so that's got to be a good sign. Um, he might be quiet. He might be played forward a fair bit over this first um, few games, but um, I'm I'm pretty confident, given who he is and his determination and his professionalism, that he's going to have a he's still going to have a big impact. Does? Yeah, I I think the you know the the eighty percent match fit Selwood is is probably still going to bring more to the table than than most hundred percent fit footballers. Um, so I think that's reasonable. I think the other thing to consider too is we're talking about match fitness. We're not talking about you know a dodgy ham, a dodgy hammy or something. Um, so it's all reports are that you know he's kind of passed the the plantar fasciitis and the and the tendon issue in the other foot. It's literally just a match fitness thing, um, and I'm taking that on on face value. What's coming out of the club? So I think that's a, a consideration as well, um, and. I mean, maybe, maybe this will inadvertently be a more effective Joel Selwood um, if he does only get say six minutes um, instead of being you know a full time midfielder and not really resting other than going to the bench. If he's now getting six, you know, a five minute stint in the in the in the guts, and then he rotates forward and sits for five minutes. But in that five minutes that he's back in the mids again. He's actually just giving his full hundred percent because he knows that he's going to get a break resting up forward. Now, I mean, break is a relative term in, in the game these days, but if that makes any sense, maybe this is a way that inadvertently gives him um, more impact, if that's possible, in bursts rather than just a you know his 
full output in the mid in the midfield all the time, if that makes any sense. Turbo? Uh, look, I think he's such a competitive beast. You know, like if he was half fit, you know, if his legs screwed on by, you know, being helped with duct tape, whatever else, he's going to want to play that first game and he wants to line up next to danger. Um, the thing is, he's probably even feeling better than what he did at the end of last year because he looked woeful at the end of last year. I think he even said he shouldn't have played the last game. So apart from match fitness, he's probably feeling a lot better. So if we have to plonk him in the forward pocket, he's still going to be a very dangerous player, even being a little bit down on match fitness. And I don't think it'll be 80%. I mean, like, it might be 90 or 95. I mean, like, who knows the exact percentages. But um, to me, he's done 34 touches, even in a VFL comp. He's shown enough. He's in. I think um, you, you made a really good point then about how it could have done him good. I think potentially the break, if he had to have a forced break, uh, that probably could, it may not be a bad thing for him because at the end of last year, he... It's probably, probably been the, the longest break he's had. Yeah, and probably actually for the second half of last year, he looked pretty average. He just didn't look... I think it's just the years of him carrying the side, basically. He's getting pretty frustrated because yeah. the side was playing poorly and he wanted to do something about it and he didn't have the tools to do it because he was crook. Yeah. You know, so you could see it. I mean, that's why he got reported that time. He's yep. just getting frustrated. Yep, and I think potentially the break could have done him good mentally. Um, he'll be as fit. I've got no doubt. If he's been running and training, he'll be as fit as fit. Match fitness... Match fitness is the first contest he he goes for. He's going to blow up. That's going to happen till he's had a game or two under his belt. I find match fitness may mean that a player fumbles or or isn't as clean. But I find Joel to be one of the cleanest players with the footy that I've seen. In that I reckon he's what sets him aside from so many players is his ability to be going at full speed and to just control the ball with one hand and not fumble. He's very clean. He doesn't make many mistakes. I can't see that happening. I think he'll spend more time forward than perhaps he would have if he'd completed a full preseason. But the points that have been made again and again on the board is that, you know, a 70-80% match fit Selwood is still better than, you know, Kirsten, Cowan, Lang, whoever else, and he's and he's going to command the respect of a better opponent as well, which the flow-on effect from that can also help. If, yeah, if he all I, of a I, sudden gets their best small defender, then it could open up the door for a, you know, a Kirsten, a Lang, a Gregson, a McCarthy to maybe get more off the more freedom than they may have otherwise got. What sort of plays to um, what Daz was talking about? I think before, in the sense that. Uh, if Selwood's up there in the forward pocket, they certainly aren't just going to bomb it long to Hawkins or something. They're going to see him and they're going to pass it to him. Yep. I, I don't think there's too many back pockets that are that are out there that'll be, you know, when when the huddle breaks and people start going to their positions, all that sort of stuff, will be jumping up and down with joy when they see the 14 heading towards them. <laughs> it's the same. It's Very the, good point. The same as Dane Swan playing down forward for Collingwood. Good players are good players, wherever they are. And... Dane Swan, like Selwood, they're both good one-on-one players. So if you get the ball to them one-on-one enough, they're going to win it more often than not. 
they're good, smart footballers. If they're in the forward line and they're winning it, they're going to hurt you on the scoreboard. And that's agreed. Hopefully, the way it works out for us on Monday. <laughs> Looking forward to Joel getting a couple of high tackle free kicks inside fifty just to. <laughs> I hope he starts on the ball and he gets the first kick of the match and ducks in, or not ducks, shrugs into it and <laughs> just to wind up the Hawk fans. But you might want to edit that. The VFL, he was already getting a couple. So yeah, I'd like him to duck into it just to really wind him up because we know he doesn't duck. He shrugs. <laughs> Uh, awesome. All right. Uh, question without notice. One last question without notice. If you do, you guys have? Can you name, or do you want to name, or a tip for uh, an X Factor type player, someone that may not be your expected, you know, star, but someone who might just do something on on Monday that might we might all be very happy with come Monday evening with what they've done on the, the, during the day. Has anyone got one? I've got one in mind. I'm happy to start since I've given you literally two seconds notice for this question. I'm looking forward, hopefully, to Nathan Vardy having, stole me thunder. having an impact <laughs> because... No, well, I thought of this question before when you mentioned his name, Daz. He, uh, I think Vardy is... He potentially... He's... For all the shit I give him as well, for being not able to take a mark and having concrete hands, I think his marking improved each game for the preseason. Um, if he actually puts his arms up above his head and runs at jumps and jumps at the ball, there's not going to be too many defenders that can stop him because he's going to be a long way up in the air. He has the knack of getting into dangerous positions and finding the football in his hands. So that's my tip with Hawthorne's defence as it is. Um, Frawley will go to Hawkins Gibson Who's Gibson go to? Does Gibson go to Vardy? Um, if he does And Gibson's third manning up All the time you could come, I could easily see Vardy Strolling in for a few goals Much the same style that Hawthorne like to do it Where they just find themselves strolling into an open goal square And yeah, getting it for, through For someone his size He finds himself in space you know, within 20 metres of goal, a ridiculous amount of times. Yep. He's, it's it's uncanny. It, and you you have to give credit. He's, you know, it's not by accident. He manages to he manages to get in the in the right spot. So, good call. Does there, is there anybody else that anybody ex- have expectations from that could uh, light well, us up? Well, I'm thinking that perhaps you've got going to be a lot of emphasis on Dangerfield and a fair bit of emphasis on on Selwood, perhaps, when he's playing in the middle. Um, so perhaps Caddy actually does one of those little bursts a bit more often and kiss a couple of goals because he, he can do that and suddenly have a of all the uh, attention elsewhere, him to step up and actually play a, a, like a, almost like a vote-winning game. Yeah, I, I actually think seeing my first preference was Shark. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'll. Uh, I was thinking maybe Mitch Duncan might be uh, a bit of the. You know, it's it's hard to say Mitch Duncan's the the quiet achiever, but um, with that, with all eyes on Dangerfield or and and Selwood and and you know maybe Zach Smith and and these other new recruits and stuff like that. Um, I think it's possible that that Mitch could slip in there and um, certainly have a, a bigger game. 
um, and maybe get less attention and, and be able to get off the chain. He's a smart footballer. He knows where to go. His skills are elite. Um, he, uh, I'm not calling him elite, um, but he's he's certainly well on the path to getting there. Um, and I, I think he could actually get off the chain a bit and, and give us uh, quite a boost. Yep. Cat Empire. Does anyone... in, the, in the spirit of um, picking players, we've been a bit hard on Willow. Um, a player who I reckon's bobbed up a couple of times against Hawthorne and done some nice things um, is Jordan Murdoch. And I've, nice, good call. Yeah, I've, he was the other one I was thinking. <laughs> I've, I've definitely been hard on him over the years. Well, I don't know. Oh, maybe not hard, but, um, you know, I I think it, it reflects that I see a lot of potential in him and, you know, don't see the the output that I hope we could get from him. But I think he has bobbed up a few times against Hawthorne at the G. I think he seems to like playing on the G where there's a bit more space and he can... He can um, um, use his speed a bit more, um, and he's kicked a few goals against Hawthorne. I can see he's kicked um, three on one occasion and a couple of two. Three on the final, wasn't it? Was it three in the final? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, he had a big... That yeah. prelim, he had a good game. The prelim, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was the one where they come back in the last quarter. Yeah. So he's one bit of a smoky, but um, <laughs> I reckon he could, he could um, bob up. Very good. And, and I think you've got to pay homage to, to Lincoln McCarthy, to, to Rabs, to the Rabbi's uh, favourite pluck from the uh, draft back in the, back in the day. When I, I mean, he's, uh, he's, he, he's come in and, and certainly done everything that was suggested he could do. Um, granted, it's taken a couple of years to get there, but uh, certainly um, looking forward to seeing what he does. Presuming he makes, you know, gets selected, but you'd think he'd be in now. He'd have to be. He, he, oh, was, he, he, he was one of my picks of the of the nab. Obviously, danger. We, we knew what we were going to get. Zach Smith, I was wrapped with, but uh, if I had to round it out to a top three, McCarthy had to force his way in because he's just he's everything we've been he, in the practice matches. He's everything we've been crying out for in a small forward. Yeah, agreed. On but, practice match form, hopefully he carries yeah. it through. Yep. I want to get one that actually can kick a goal. Instead <laughs> <laughs> of miss from the goal square. Well, he's yeah, kicked well, a few. Uh... He's warmed up in the practice matches, so he should be fine. Yep. I think that's about covered it all off, guys. Thank right. you. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, now, before, is there any other messages or anything else, any advertising any of you want to do while you've got the chance? <laughs> Hashtag. Guff in the guts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Right, right. Thank you very much again, Cat Empire, for joining us. Thanks for having me again. No problems. And Turbo, thank you very much for joining us for your debut. Yeah, not a problem. And lastly, Daz, probably time to go to yeah. bed, mate. Go to bed, Daz. <laughs> Thank you. For, thanks very much, Daz. For uh... that's all right. This is this has been good. This is uh, this is my preseason, so uh, getting ready for the games. <laughs> well, that's you. We've warmed you into it. Yeah, yeah well, done nicely. I'm sure I'll be hurting tomorrow. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we will be back again. Well, look, last time I said it probably wouldn't happen for a month, and it happened within two weeks. So. I'm... Two to four weeks, we'll be going around again. So if anybody would like to be involved, I highly recommend it or would really appreciate people 
letting me know that they want to be involved. If Daz can get up at 2am and do it, I don't think there's any excuse for any of you other people sitting here listening in. So Yeah, but clearly I'm a couple of singers short of a picnic, so, you know... <laughs> Oh, you've just confirmed the <laughs> There's no mystery now, Daz. We've heard you. Nah, absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hopefully this time you've been able to listen to it on iTunes if I've been given access to put it up there. Um, and otherwise, we will see you. We'll speak to you again in a few weeks' time. Thanks very Go much, cats. everyone. All right. Thank you. Go Cats. Go Cats. <laughs>